Welcome to the Biotech Insights Series from Kantar Health, a leading global healthcare data analytics and research company, and produced in partnership with the online pharmaceutical news and analysis destination, PharmaForum. The podcast features interviews with movers and shakers in the world of biotechnology, with a focus on insights into the journey of turning scientific research into clinical and commercial success. I'm Dominic Tyre, Creative and Editorial Director at PharmaForum. In this episode of Biotech Insight, my guests are Pritu Samani, who's Senior Manager of Forecasting and Business Analytics at GenMab, and Kantar Health's Vice President of Oncology and Specialty Therapeutics, Jay Grisolana. Pritu has over 19 years' experience in the healthcare industry. In his current role, he is responsible for forecasting and secondary analytics for the entire GenMab portfolio. In this, he covers multiple disease areas, including oncology, autoimmune, and rare diseases. Prior to this role, Pritu spent many years at Abbott Strogabvi in numerous finance and forecasting roles. His particular areas of expertise include long-range planning, portfolio prioritization, patient-based forecasting, demand research, and secondary analytics, to name a few. Meanwhile, Jay has 17 years consulting experience with a focus on custom engagements in the therapeutic area of oncology and also rare disease. He brings both clinical and commercial expertise to support the needs of clients, with capabilities including commercial and scientific assessment, strategic planning, portfolio stroke indication prioritization, competitive landscape analysis, primary market research, licensing and due diligence support, and forecasting. And he previously worked as a postdoctoral fellow at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, developing preclinical mouse models in human myeloid leukemia, and also earned a PhD in molecular cell biology from Washington U- University, also in St. Louis. Pritu, let's start with you then. Uh, can you take a moment to share your history in forecasting and analytics and talk a bit about how your role has shifted from big pharma to biotech? Sure, Dominic. So I have close to 20 years of experience in the pharma industry, both ranging from big pharma to small biotech. I spent about 17 years with Abbott and AbbVie, and in the last five years, I helped them launch their oncology franchise and did a lot of forecasting on multiple tumor types, be it heme and solid malignancies, and helped them launch their first oncology product, Venetoclax, in the CLL space. Then I moved over to a small biotech called Horizon Therapeutics that is in the rare disease space, and I did forecasting for the BD segment there. So got a really good experience learning how to do rare disease forecasting. And then I ended up joining GenMab, where I'm currently located, and I had their forecasting team for the entire portfolio, be it inline forecasting as well as the portfolio products for GenMap. Great. So in this episode of the podcast, we're going to be focusing on uh, oncology. Jay, if I could bring you in at this this point, could you tell the listeners uh, about the current competitive landscape in oncology and also what it looks like from a biotech perspective? Yes, uh, thanks, Dominic. The oncology market is very attractive and a key focus area for many companies. Um, and over the last 10 years or so, we've seen an explosion of product approvals in oncology, um, creating a, a very competitive landscape. Um, And the marketplace is very competitive across all tumor types, 
including hematologic malignancies. Um, because big pharma is heavily invested in oncology, it, it can be difficult for biotechs to launch products by themselves. And Preeti, does that chime with uh, your experiences? Uh, yes, I'm in complete alignment with Jay. Like, I definitely like, to, I like Jay's last point about how big pharma is pumping so much money to, in oncology because a lot of big pharma are facing patent cliffs in their other businesses. So and oncology is the key frontier, which is going to help them offset some of these challenges. So that's why it's becoming a key focus here for a lot of big pharma, which introduces a host of challenges for small biotech players to compete in the space. Mm. And, and can you talk to us a bit about um, some of those uh, strategic challenges then that biotechs face in the, the current uh, oncology environment, Pritu? Sure. So just kind of adding on to my comments, right, as I mentioned, uh, since there's so much money being pumped by big pharma and oncology, there's a lot of competition from all sorts of players, being big pharma to biotechs, which makes it harder for like small biotechs to compete in larger cancers like multiple myeloma, lung cancer. Also, small biotechs don't have the necessary expertise that they need to launch products. So like, you know, how do you support multiple stakeholders, patients, payers, customer support organizations? So those skills need to be built by the biotech. And also, majority of the biotechs have lower scale and with very few pipeline assets, which leads to a higher level of risk. So biotechs need to be very strategic on how they look at resource allocations and priorities to ensure that they have the best chance of success. Mm, so plenty of um, competition from big pharma and by the sounds of things, certainly much harder for small biotech. Um, Jay, and, uh, anything else to, to add in terms of the strategic challenges that, that biotechs face? Uh, yeah, yeah, Prithu made some excellent points. And um, from a biotech standpoint, uh, really understanding the competitive landscape can help inform uh, strategy and, and appropriate resource allocation. And so in terms of that understanding then, Jay, um, clearly uh, activities like forecasting are going to play a really important role. But what sort of forecasting challenges do biotechs typically face in oncology? Well, Dominic, biotech companies oftentimes have limited resources in terms of people, budget, expertise, and time. Um, and oftentimes uh, they find it hard to validate assumptions um, from, from multiple sources that leads to a high level of forecast variability. So from an internal perspective, biotech com companies can try to validate assumptions through um, extensive literature search, uh, and or talking to available company experts, provided those experts are uh, indeed available within the company. They can also outline key priorities and, and, and balance these based upon the company needs. Um, however, invariably, because of the limited resources, biotech companies um, often seek external support for key, key priority projects from agencies like Cantor Health. And uh, pretty uh, looking beyond then the, the issue perhaps of limited resources, uh, do you see ad any additional forecasting challenges that, that biotechs face? So I'm in agreement with Jane. He, he made some really good points. I would just like to add that biotechs should do a capability assessment and realize where the gaps are given the limited resources. So that will help them understand where they need to engage external support to augment those gaps and help them be more successful. And pretty, if we could stick with you then for the uh, for the moment. So pivoting from from forecasting to to planning, do you think biotech companies need to be thinking more strategically when it comes to long term planning? Uh, yes, Dominic, I completely agree. Since they don't have the benefit of scale, I think it'll be very good for biotechs to complete a long range planning exercise for the entire product portfolio on an annual basis, and they should do the long range planning exercise on a fifteen year time horizon because. But trying from when a 
candidate enters the clinic all the way to approval is about 10 years. So getting a 15-year view will give them a more holistic picture of how their projects are and when key approval will happen. It'll also help them identify key milestones and pivot points and help them plan better, leading to better resource allocation and better budgeting across the life cycle. Mm-hmm. And, and Jay, any, any further thoughts on the needs there for biotech companies in long-range planning? Yeah, I, I agree completely with, with Preethru. Um, the, the biotech companies really do need to have a process in place to understand um, where to play, where not to play in order to invest strategically. And in terms of that, that process, looking at, at where they should and also shouldn't be playing within this uh, therapy area. Uh, could you, Jay, could you talk a bit about uh, how patient population calculations might be uh, of use here? Certainly. Um, so the, there are sort of several steps that need to be considered in, in the process for uh, translating patient population calculations into estimations of market potential. Um, you know, first, I think uh, one needs to understand the target product profile of the drug of interest um, and its application in specific patient segments for which it will be indicated. Um, also, it, it's important to monitor the competitive landscape, um, considering both currently marketed as well as pipeline products um, in order to predict expected share capture of the product in the patient segment of interest. Um, then obviously you can layer in other assumptions, um, including um, uh, drug therapy duration um, and compliance, um, and also understanding pricing and market access considerations across geographies is, is very helpful to uh, uh, ultimately understand the revenue potential by market. I, I do want to emphasize that duration of therapy is a very critical assumption in this process um, because even small patient populations can translate into large commercial potential. And, and I think that, that Gleevec and CML is a great example of this. Um, at the time Gleevec was approved, there were maybe five or 6,000 CML patients in the U.S. And in spite of that small population size, um, Gleevec became a billion dollar drug because patients were able to be treated for several years. So again, duration of therapy uh, can really be a driver of revenue potential. And, and uh, pretty anything else to add to that point, those points around um, the use of uh, patient population calculations and, and market estimations? Uh, sure. So I think Jay covered really nicely all the key aspects that you should consider while building a robust forecast. I'd like to pay another specific emphasis to pricing. Across geographies, that's going to have a key impact on whether your drugs are going to launch in certain markets or not. Because pricing is becoming a hot topic, and European pricing, with all the budget constraints and everything that happens, is a key factor that like companies should consider when evaluating. Also, in the U.S. market, having an understanding of how much of your population is Medicare plays a key role because those are mandatory discounts you have to give out. So, getting a good pricing perspective across different markets will help you define your revenue potential more closely. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty. so I'd, I'd like to uh, finish up this episode of the podcast by uh, looking into the future and seeing what that might hold for biotech companies working in the oncology space. Um, pretty. From, from your perspective, what, what do you see coming next? And what, what do you think is next for biotech companies in the oncology market? Yes, sure. So I feel like the, the oncology market is very, very attractive. And that's pretty evident from all the 
capital funding and all the research that's being done in oncology. There's a high level of unmet need across numerous tumors, across multiple lines of therapy. So from my perspective, a biotech should focus on niche tumors and like later lines of therapy because they have limited competition. And that'll also help them in a high level of unmet need. With, with those things, they can help build up the commercial expertise and gain the relevant skills needed to move to earlier lines of therapy and launch other assets. Also, biotech should consider looking at like novel MOAs and targets to how to effectively address the unmet need across different tumor types. Thank you. And, and Jay, if we could bring you in one, one last time, what, where do you see the opportunities for biotech companies in the current uh, oncology environment? Well, I, I think Prithu nailed it. You know, there, there are numerous opportunities for biotech companies in the oncology market. Um, and as, as Prithu alluded, um, focusing uh, entry in later lines of therapy in these populations could be a quick strategy to market. Um, and, you know, even though we've had this explosion of oncology drug approvals in, in recent years, very few, if any, are curative, um, which leaves the door open for new innovative products. And that brings us to the end of this first episode of Biotech Insights. Pritu and Jay, thank you for joining me on the podcast. You've been listening to Biotech Insights. For all episodes and more information, visit pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. And please subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released. Thank you.